This episode is brought to you by a brand new sponsor of the show, Picmonic. Picmonic is an audiovisual learning system with unforgettable stories and characters to help you remember everything you need to know for PT school and beyond. Used by over 1.5 million students all over the world, Picmonic is perfect for streamlining your studying in an efficient manner. Listeners of the show can use the promo code SNACKBREAK in all caps for a 20% discount, and first-time users can start today for free. Getting access to one learning objective and one Picmonic quiz per day, forever, at zero cost. Available on iOS, Android, and desktop. Once again, listeners of the show can use the promo code SNACKBREAK in all caps at checkout. Happy studying, let's get right into the show. All right. Let's see. Okay. Hello and welcome to episode six of Snack Break by Ortho Snacks, where we interview physical therapists, fitness professionals, and health and wellness experts. I'm your host, John Schaefer, and today we have a very special guest all the way from Australia, Dr. Will Hunt. He is currently runs a page, Allied Anatomy, and he's an experienced anatomy tutor from Sydney, Australia, um, and he works for workplace physiotherapy access uh, we're very happy to have you on will and i appreciate you taking the time to do this no worries john it's a nice morning here in sydney it's about 7:45 a.m bright and early thanks for having me yeah you've got the you've got the coffee ready to roll um so I, I guess i'd like to start by just talking a little bit about what you do day to day so i understand you graduated about two years ago yep so i graduated from the DPT program at Macquarie Uni uh, two years ago. Um, my day-to-day at the moment looks like full-time for the, the workplace physiotherapy company, Axis, which is a, uh, yeah, involves a lot of physiotherapy treatment, uh, but also creation of health and wellbeing resources and um, talking to the, uh, the business around the health of their workers. Um, in between that, I like to uh, still get to the uni and do a few hours of teaching uh, each week, and that's mostly gross anatomy or musculoskeletal um, anatomy education. And then I also will um, spend a bit of time with the dissection team at Macquarie Uni, and they're the ones that um, awesome team team of people. They um, produce the cadaveric um, teaching specimens that we use at the uni to teach gross anatomy and um, musculoskeletal anatomy. So, yeah, that's sort of my day to day. And then Allied Anatomy kind of fills in the the five minutes here, 10 minutes there, um, sometimes yeah. on the weekend. And it's, um, yeah, it's more of a passion project at the moment for me. Awesome. So it sounds like a pretty wide variety of things going on for you right now, which is great. Um, how did you first get started teaching in anatomy labs, especially so soon after graduation? I mean, usually, mm-hmm. I guess in the States, um, people usually get a little bit more experience and then they might go back to do some teaching. Uh, it's a little bit more rare for people to kind of jump right into that teaching track so soon after graduation. Yeah, really good question. And actually, it might surprise you that I've been teaching for eight years and I've only oh, been wow. physio two years. So I, I started teaching when I was in my second year of undergrad. Mm-hmm. Um, I was, I don't know, like 20, 21 or something. And I started through volunteer teaching where they'd ask past students to come in and teach um, current students. And that was for free. And I was happy to do it because anatomy is awesome. Um, and then the next year they asked me to um, stay on and, and do some paid teaching with them. Mm-hmm. So I did. And then from there, it kind of just snowballed. And I went from teaching the first year introductory units to teaching both that and the second year musculoskeletal to then the next semester, I was teaching those two plus the head and neck and, and face anatomy 
Um, and then I got involved in a bit more of the um, cardiorespiratory um, teaching mm -hmm. for the, the pre-med students. And more recently, I've been doing some clinical anatomy and radiographic anatomy teaching through the uni there. So I kind of got started through um, volunteering, but it was, yeah, seven or eight years ago. And so wow. I feel like I've got more experience as an educator than I do as a physio. Um, yeah, you're I'm sure better as, as you know, Yeah, physio is very much um, based on education. So mm -hmm. those skills that I've gained through teaching have really helped me through physiotherapy as well. Yeah, that's awesome. So did you get a teaching certificate along the way or did you just kind of step right in? Yeah, it's funny, right? Um, you can, in Australia, you can't teach primary or secondary education without a uni degree, um, mm -hmm. but you can walk into teaching at uni without any certification. So that's oh. how I did it, man. Like my certification was I got a HD in the unit and then, um, you know, like 95% or something. And then I was a nice person to work with. And so the person that, that was in power at the time um, gave me the opportunity. And then from there, it sort of just, um, yeah, snowballed a bit. Wow. That's awesome. And in the, in the States, you need uh, what's like a terminal degree to uh, teach. So either advanced certification like OCS, neuro, neurologic specialty or a PhD. So interesting yeah, comparisons. It, it, is, I mean, it is, but... But keep in mind, I'm not the one, like I'm not the unit convener, the uh -huh. person who creates the teaching resources. They have a PhD and they're professors. I'm a, a tutor that, that will come in and teach their material. So, okay. yeah, I think that's why I can get away with not having any formal qualifications is because I'm not, um, yeah, I'm not the unit convener. I've done a few lectures here and there, but it's just sort of guest mm -hmm. appearances. Cool. And so have you, have you always compiled um, educational anatomical content or did it really start when you uh, launched the page out anatomy I guess I, I, um, I, I was always compiling it because I was teaching mm -hmm. and so having to teach semester after semester means that you're always revising the same stuff multiple times a year because you have to teach your students and anatomy is one of those things that if you don't frequently use it it does go from your brain because it's such a detailed um, topic. So I was, I was compiling for sure um, through my own like study notes and pre-teaching notes, but what I wasn't doing is making the most of those and sharing them with everyone else. So it was only really the last um, two years or so since, um, since COVID kind of gave me a bit more time at home to think about things that I thought, how else can I get some value from my teaching prep and, and how can this help more people than just myself and it means that the time I spend prepping for teaching will I'll get more value from it because I'm sharing it with others mm -hmm. and they're following me but then the, the ones that want to to use the material will also get value and it will be of, of a quality that I think is good enough for me as teaching preparation so you will see some of the videos recently on the ankle and the ligaments they're um, really detailed videos and that's because that's the level that I believe I should have before I go into teach that class. Um, but that's not so much the level that, you know, a physiotherapist needs to know because there's, there's hundreds of ligaments, but yeah. yeah. So that's, um, I, I only recently started compiling them in a formal way. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I shared this with you early in our conversation, but I mean, when I came across your content, I was like, this is a resource I really wish I would have had when I was moving through gross anatomy. So the videos, mm. 
I mean, they're extremely helpful. They are detailed, but they're simple enough where I can follow and your accent makes them more enjoyable. <laughs> that's good. That's good. Hey, um, tell me, why would they have been so helpful when you were going through gross anatomy? What, what were you lacking? Yeah. So I think the biggest thing for me is it's nice to have someone go through all the structures in a slow and fun way. Um, I think that sometimes when you get in lecture, there's so much information coming at you and, you know, an hour and a half or two hour span that sometimes it's difficult to maintain focus for that long. So I think mm -hmm. having, having these educational pieces broken up into smaller videos is what I think is the most useful. So it's not That's so good. much. I'm glad I can help. Yeah. So it's not so much content at once as opposed to breaking up in smaller, more enjoyable mm -hmm. format. Um, I'm curious. So you, you'd also mentioned a little bit, just the way the procedures differ a little bit in the way you go about gross anatomy in Australia. Can you talk a little bit just about the preservation of the body and kind of why that is? Yeah. Interesting. Um, so I, I work at the Macquarie uni dissection lab and that's where we teach with the cadaveric specimens from. And, um, you would be familiar in the States with, um, anatomy by dissection, I think is how you do it. And you sort of start with a full body and then the students will um, dissect themselves with the scalpels and the scissors to reveal, you know, biceps brachii. And then you, you take off biceps brachii and you see brachialis. And then, you know, you go around the back and you find the radial nerve underneath the triceps brachii and you're the one doing all the cutting, um, which means that at the end of that semester, it's an absolute mess because you've had yep. students come in and just hack this body in the most respectful way possible. Um, but that means that you dispose of the body at the end of that semester. Whereas in, uh, in Australia, mostly, um, we, don't do, we don't teach with that model. Instead, what we do is we spend um, often a few months preparing, say, one upper limb, so from scapula to fingers. Um, we'll have a, a single dissector who's trained in, in dissection, and they'll spend probably about 150 hours or so dissecting the skin away, the fascia away, revealing the muscles, revealing the nerves, getting in between all of the muscles and the, and the tissues to, to make it clear for the student. Um, and then what we use that to, to teach is all of the upper limb structures and we can use it year after year after year after year. So in Australia, the, the, um, the, red, the legislation is that the bodies can be taught with for four years and then a possible another four years with an extension. Um, which means that we have to invest a lot of thought and a lot of time into how we want to dissect these um, specimens so that we can get the most value out of them for that mm. amount of time because we don't sort of dispose of them so quickly. So then do the students do any of the dissecting or is it more learning from the bodies that you've already dissected? Good question. And um, I think this is probably where, where the U.S., gets a little bit more out of the way they teach than in Australia, because we don't, we don't offer the students a hands-on opportunity to dissect and cut away things themselves. Um, I think that's so ingrained in just the way that the uni has done things for a long time that it's mm -hmm. the, you know, the courses are all structured around. We already have this specimen produced, so let's just use that. Um, but I'd love to be involved in a project that gets some students some hands-on work. And we actually, in the dissection lab, the, the last sort of uh, four months, we've started for the first time having uh, two 
two students come in on a, a research placement and they've been given a specimen and so they've actually had the opportunity to dissect themselves so yeah it's um hopefully it gets there yeah because i mean i think that that was one of the most beneficial aspects of gross anatomy for me was actually being able to feel the different tissues um, and gain a greater respect mm. for how they compare to one another so just mm. just a different yeah, approach though the students definitely get hands on with them, right? So it's just that you have you have all the skin and the fat already taken away. And so the, the students can jump straight in and move the muscles and move the nerves and, and that sort of thing. They don't have to take the skin off or anything themselves. So they lose that sort of um, perception of depth, I think. That's the, the one thing that they lose because they're not the ones taking off the layers. Mm -hmm. But I, I also feel like that gives you a much greater... I guess starting point to kind of start working with things because I felt like a lot of times um, in our gross anatomy labs, we'd spend so much time trying to find different structures and things like that. It definitely builds in your understanding of that depth, like you said, but at the same time, mm -hmm. <laughs> there's a lot of, there's a lot of missed cuts and things like that along the way. That's just, that just comes with the, uh, comes with that yeah. process, I guess. That's right. And look, that is one of the biggest and the best ways to learn is that, do you think that that's going to be where the, you know, biceps brachii tendon is in the cubital fossa and you cut it and you're wrong, then you're definitely going to remember that that's yep. where it actually was, you know? So you, you learn most through mistakes. Mm -hmm. I'd like to um, pivot a little bit and talk about your, <clears throat> your job with access to the workplace physiotherapy. Um, we discussed a little bit earlier. So in the U S we've got workers comp is fairly common, but there isn't necessarily as much emphasis on preventative care in the workplace. And I understand that there's a little bit of a interesting format that you have in Australia. So if you could speak to that a little bit, I think that, um, I follow yeah. you. I think that's pretty interesting. Yeah. So I'm not too familiar with the U S system, if I'm honest. Um, but return to work and workers compensation is probably the most famous thing. And that's, that's where you have a worker who's had a workplace injury and they go on a worker's compensation claim, which means that the company they work for will pay all the medical costs associated with their recovery. We have that same system in Australia, um, but what would work out better for the business is if they obviously can prevent those workers comp injuries from happening in the first place. And so usually um, there's a whole lot of, you know, pointless manual manual handling training that um, the workplace historically have, have told people to bend with your knees, don't bend with your back, that sort of stuff, which we know is really outdated now. So that doesn't really work, manual handling training. What does work is having someone on site to support the workers face-to-face. -face. And, and the way that we've done that with Axis is we've positioned ourselves as an on-site physiotherapy um, treatment center and so well, the way it looks like for example we have a an air uh, one of the big air carriers um in sydney have they're one of our clients and so we we are set up on the tarmac or like on the side of the tarmac you know in a clinic room not with a massage table next to the planes um so we have our own clinic room like a small gym and the workers are able to come and see us for free for um work-related injuries or non-work-related injuries and for the business, it's good because their workers are getting um, proactive and preventative support. Um, but for the worker, you know, they can also see us for non-work-related stuff as well. So it means that they're going to be healthier at work. Now, we haven't exactly saved the business much money yet because 
they could still go on a workers' comp claim, which is their choice, and they, they can absolutely do that. Um, but I think the hope is that having a physio there, building rapport with the workers, means that if they do get injured at work, then they'll come and seek our support because we already know them. And then they'll, be, they'll feel better supported in the work environment with the work physio still doing some work duties. Mm-hmm. And that might mean that they have a shorter time span on a workers' comp claim. They can continue to work, which is better for their recovery. And, um, and so, yeah, it's a very interesting, a very interesting area of physio that I've found that not many people are aware of in Australia. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, any, any other questions on that? Yeah, I guess my curiosity would kind of be geared towards what the actual sessions look like. And then if it's a situation where the worker's getting injured and they come straight over, or if it's, I mean, you mentioned that they can come on, come over for non-work related injuries too. So I guess maybe if you could take me through an example of maybe, maybe a patient just start to finish briefly what it might look like. Sure. All right. So here's an example of a, current workers comp that I'm seeing at the moment, she was um, taking a bag from the overhead luggage and mm-hmm. she um, injured her long-headed biceps brachii. So she did that at work. She came and saw the physio at work the same day, which was me, did an assessment, gave her some reassurance, gave her a plan, and then um, started some treatment sessions. And then we sort of said, let's give it two weeks or so, see how it's going. She didn't really improve in the two weeks. So we said, look, maybe... You should probably go and uh, get a go and get your opinion from your GP. So she did that, and then that sort of rolled in to become a workers' comp claim, right? Mm-hmm. But it's not all lost because we built rapport with her early on, and so she's been seeing me in the clinic at, at work um, for uh, it's been a couple of months now, maybe three months, and um, I've been her main physiotherapy provider. So that means for the workplace, um, they're they're paying us for for being there. Uh, to just treat their workers and so they're saving that cost um, on her going and seeing someone else um, so that's a workers comp sort of example um, and she's happy right she's she's coming into work she's still seeing her workmates she's getting supported at work and i think that's the biggest difference she hasn't been isolated and and she's she's not yet yeah, feeling distant from the workplace um, in terms of a non-work related injury i mean a lot of the ones i see are um, arthritis so you take knee arthritis this is someone, you know, someone who might be 60, 65, and they're still working, um, but they've got that lifetime history of, of, you know, played footy when I was 20, and then, you know, I was working in the cabins of this plane, so it's a lot of kneeling, and then, you know, I decided to get um, a bit unhealthy, I'm smoking, I'm a bit overweight now, and so it's a bit hard to say that that's a workplace injury, right? Yeah. But we're doing a whole heap of, like, osteoarthritis-related treatment for that worker at the workplace, and um, an even more distant example is, um, oh, here's another one that's, that's clearly not a workers' comp. Um, oh, one of the, yeah, yeah. So there's this one, one patient who's about 25, really, really keen runner. And um, he just, he has a, uh, he had an Achilles enthesiopathy. So right at the, the distal insertion of the Achilles tendon. And, um, and he just did that one, during a run one day. And he was coming to work the next day, saw the physios there. And so we've been treating him for this non-work related injury. Um, so, you know, there's, there's tons of examples. As long as you build good rapport with the workers, then they'll feel comfortable using you. Um, the way the sessions look is we usually have a, you know, half an hour time slot. 
And um, thankfully, at the workplace, it's not back-to-back all the time. So that's what's different with, with the private practice is that often to make, a, to make money in private practice, you have to book your physios out back-to-back-to-back-to-back-to-back. Whereas at the workplace, we don't have to work under that pressure because the payment system is a little bit different for us. So instead, we can have like 45-minute session if we want, um, and we and we usually work through exercise and a bit of um, hands-on treatment or a bit of education or some some workplace assessments, whatever's appropriate for that worker in that time. Very interesting. So, is this? Mm. Do you see this growing more in the future in Australia and the U.S. Or kind of what's what's your perception of how how this is going to grow or change? Because, I mean, even you said not many people within Australia are familiar with the services you're providing. Yeah, look, I think it's been around for a long time. I think it's been around the, the concept of on-site physio mm-hmm. at least 20 years from what I, I know. Um, the alternative would be for instead of a workplace investing in setting up a physio at the work site, the alternative is, and I think this is more common, is the the workplace will have an arrangement with an external physio company where they send their workers directly to that company. Um, And and the problem with that is that the company is external to the workplace. And so I think from a business point of view, they're probably more likely to become workers' comp claims and they probably don't work out as good for the the employer um, in terms of reducing costs. Mm -hmm. Um, So I do think that on-site physiotherapy will grow. I think... As more businesses start to see the, the good impacts we're having, the costs that we're saving them, um, they, they sh- it's the smart choice to set up a physio at the workplace um, from both of those points of view. And it's really all about um, being proactive with trying to reduce these um, workplace injuries rather than reactive. And if you don't have someone at the workspace observing the workers available right now, then it's only ever going to be reactive. So hopefully it grows, mate. And I think it, I think it might exist in the US, but it's often a little bit hidden. You often have to ask, um, ask some people that you wouldn't really um, have thought would know much about on-site physio. So yeah, see what you can find. Yeah, no, I really appreciate what you said about just your ability to build rapport with the workers since you are on-site. I've noticed just there's a few workers' comp cases that have come into clinics that I've been um working out for my clinicals and it just seems like just seems like they're a little bit disgruntled from the entire situation losing distrust in their employer so i i mean i'm sure if you can build that rapport early on it's only going to set up for success in the long run in terms of recovery so yeah and look it is frustrating right and um take it one example that's a really easy crossover is say you've got a football team you know, you've got the Manly football football team. Their workplace is the Manly Oval, right? That's where they go to work. And the physio is always there training. Physio is always there at games. Um, you don't have the team performing on the day without being supported by the physio on the day. So why would you have a team that's working in a workplace supported externally by a physio when they need the physio on the day? Mm-hmm. So it's very similar to sports. Yeah. I don't agree. Um, so I guess this kind of fishtails off the last topic, but I guess what are some of the 
big differences in your perception of what physiotherapy is in the States versus what you're seeing in Australia and kind of, I guess, maybe the direction you see things going? It's, it's a big question, but I guess <laughs> I'm just curious on an international perspective. Yeah, good question. Um, I don't really know much about what's happening in the U.S. Mm -hmm. um, because I'm not in the U.S. And my, my perception of what's happening in Australia is a Sydney-based perception. And I think physiotherapy is such a big um, such a big area that there's biases everywhere. People have their favourite little ideas everywhere. And I'm going interstate just within Australia and people are drastically different in, in what they think. So my perception from the get-go is that there's no right way to be a physio. And I think that just comes from the fact that the people we're treating are different people and they respond to different things. So if we only give one way of treatment, then we're only going to treat one type of person. So it's a benefit to have lots of different ways to see these things, right? Um, more, more recently, the things that I've been looking into in Australia um, are courses by uh, an Australian, Jeremy Lewis. He's a, a shoulder physiotherapy specialist. Um, and he, he runs a really, really good course that's sort of very evidence-based. Um, if you've read anything around rotator cuff tendinopathy, you've probably read something by, by him. And um, his approach is very much away from special tests, orthopedic tests, because we know that they're, they're not as special or specific um, or valid as what we think they were, right? Um, so instead, what's, what's more useful to both us and the patient is to find the most special test, which is the movement that the patient has problem with. And that could just be straight up flexion, right? And that's going to be your test and retest. So Jeremy Lewis um, is, is kind of really, really good for shoulder stuff that I've been looking into. And then for a more, more broad um, philosophical um, point of view is um, Greg Lehman or Lehman. You heard of him? Uh, the name sounds familiar. What, what is he most known for? Um, he's most known for movement optimism and, uh, it's a bit of a, I don't not, not the biggest fan of the term. Um, but the idea is that movement is good and movement will fix most things. It doesn't have to be complicated, right? You don't have to do a very, very specific movement to get a very, very specific treatment effect because we know that doesn't happen. So general movement is just as good. Um, so look him up, Greg Lehman, and also Adam Meekins. They have a podcast together, and that's the, the NAF Physio podcast. Um, Adam Meekins is a little bit more uh, intense about things, um, but uh, I find him, he's, he's kind of no bullshit, which is really, really good, um, and he cuts, cuts through that crap. But from an Aussie point of view, mate, um, to get back to your original question, um, pain science has definitely dominated over the last five years. Um, our understanding of pain and how it's and how complicated it is has really given a foundation to this understanding now that you know we have to treat within the biopsychosocial model but the bio component of it is is far smaller than what we originally thought it was so more important is the psycho and the social elements and so i think that's probably where in australia it's pushing is is we need to know more about how the social determinants of health influence someone's pain experience um, and, and bring those other two elements along, along with us. But in saying that, I can't really comment on the US. Yeah, no, I would say a lot of uh, 
a lot of the similar trends you kind of touched on, I would say, is also kind of the trajectory of physical therapy in the U.S. I think one of the things that's really been driven home for me in my first couple of clinicals is just kind of like you said, there's no one way, one right way to treat. Um, mm. There's so many different schools of thoughts and you're more effective mm. as a clinician if you can pull from all of those different areas. Um, and I think just yeah, definitely- and just to give you some reassurance on it, man, I'm like having two years experience myself, it's not a, like, it's not a long time, but you know, I did a lot before I, I studied physio and mm. I feel like I'm, I'm not like, I'm, I'm definitely not the sharpest tool in the shed, but I'm pretty sharp if you know what I mean. Um, and what I'm noticing is that patients appreciate it when you're simple with them. Patients don't have the background that we have. So the, the better you can simplify something means the, the more effective your treatment is going to be. And that takes the pressure off yourself as a, as a current student. I know the pressure. You feel like there's so much to learn. You feel like there's so many specific things that you have to be across. But what you'll realize is that you only use some of them sometimes. And the things that matter more are the way that you communicate with the person. And you've got to get the simple things right, you know, make sure you get a really good foundation of, of your treatment plan and then worry about the nuances later on. Yeah, that's great advice. All right. Well, I ask all my guests the same five questions. Are you up for answering them? Yeah, let's do it. All right. So my first question is, what is your biggest key to a successful day? My biggest key to a successful day far out then is um, <laughs> lately it's been getting through the day. Um, I think the biggest key to a successful day to me is just getting something done. You know, I feel like every day there's lots of things on the to-do list that I have to get done. Um, often I over pitch how much I want to get done, but if you can just get, if you can simplify what you want to get done, what's the most important thing, prioritize what has to be done today and get that done, then that's a successful day, you know, but in getting that, in getting to that point, you need to prioritize your to do's. Otherwise you're going to look at that list and it's going to be impossible to do it all in one day. Yeah, I would say I'd definitely fall in the category of having a big old to-do list and then, I mean, I'll get a couple of things yeah, done. Yeah. It's like, oh my gosh, I've still got all this left. Mm. So I think if you can nail down one or two things, I think that's great advice. Um, that's a win. Mm -hmm. My next question is, is there anything you wish someone would have told you maybe five years ago that would have changed things or impacted, um, impacted your life today? Something that would have been helpful? Hmm. Five years ago was what 2016 and I was just starting physio school. So what would someone have told me before I even knew anything about physio that would have changed things? Um, I reckon if someone told me it's not as hard as what it seems, you know, treating people, being a physio isn't as hard as what it looks like then I would have gone through physio school a lot more relaxed, which may have been a bad thing, you know, because I was stressing about it, <laughs> stressing out it a lot. It meant that I spent a lot of time on the details and I got good grades for it, which set me up for good opportunities. But yeah, I think if someone told me relax a bit, being a physio isn't as hard as what it's made out to be, then I would have had a, a more enjoyable time. 
but I'm, I'm sure you're all the better for the extra effort you put in. Exactly. Yeah. Um, my next question is, is there any book or product that has positively impacted your life over the last three months? Oh, uh, you've added all product, hey? Yeah, I'm throwing in a product just in case you're not a big reader. Product. If you, just in case you want to do a, a shout out to a product and get some advertisement. Um, yeah, no, books. Um, books. I'm currently I'm reading one called the the one minute one minute manager, which isn't. Oh, okay, yeah, I finished really, that. Yeah, really read it. You've read it. I've read it. Yeah, uh, I've oh, read. Wow. I think there's a it's one minute manager, one minute salesman. I think is the follow up to yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I um I got the one minute manager from my partner who's a solicitor, and she was giving it from her boss, and I thought this is kind of relevant for me. I'll give that a read, but. Look, it's probably not one of my favorites. Um, my favorites are uh, *Sapiens* by um, Yuval Noah Harari. Probably didn't pronounce mm -hmm. that very well. Um, yeah, *Sapiens*. Look it up. And then *Why We Sleep* by Matt Walker is really fascinating. Um, What's that one about? It's about um, why we sleep. <laughs> <laughs> so it talks about all the biology around um, what sleep is and, and why we why we sleep. Um, okay. Any another any book. Any key takeaways? Oh man, you're taking me back. Key takeaways are um, sleep is far more valuable than, than what we think it is. And if yeah. you, um, you, one other takeaway is you build up a sleep debt, which means that um, if, you, if you're only getting five hours of sleep a night, night on night on night on night, then um, yeah, the effects are cumulative, as in the negative effects on your health are cumulative. And, and you actually, you can't, you can't sleep back those debts, right? So it doesn't work if you want to sleep in on a Saturday and sleep for 12 hours and try and make up the, the lost sleep during the week. It doesn't work that way. So yeah, give it a read. It's going back a while for me. Um, okay. Another, another really good book. Um, what was it called? I'll have to, I'll have to link it to you, but it's a, it's a, Oh, it's called Influence. Influence. Um, which I'm listening to at the moment. Yeah, Influence. And it's like a, a book about leadership. Yeah. Cool. Um, and then is there any quote or mantra you live your life by? Mate, I've actually got a list. <laughs> All right. Let's, I'll read let's you the list. Okay. okay, sure. And it is, it is in order, right? The list is... Um, relationships come first and to me that means focus on the relationship with the people that you're talking to not so much the outcome or what you want from that person because if you can develop a good relationship then you're going to get what, what you're after anyway and you're probably going to get more from it as well so relationships come first this next one was the first one on the list right and this is when i was going through uni simple is best you can keep it simple that is the best result you're ever going to get so it works with everything keep your study simple keep your treatment simple keep your to-do list simple right simplifying is the hardest thing to do because it's the most effective thing to do then the third one is and i'm reading from my phone here because i've got a little a little uh, program that, that reminds me um calm is contagious and this is where I think I put this on the list when 
I was, I was moving across jobs and stuff was getting really, really busy. And I was starting to move into a bit more of a leadership position at the university. And so I realized that if I don't come across as a calm person in a stressful situation, then others will be stressed. And if I'm calm, then that's contagious to the ones around you. So being calm is contagious. You would, you would appreciate that with your patients, right? If you're in a hospital and your patients are stressed out, you need to be calm because that calming effect will, will go on to them as well. Um, mate, have you got time for another three quotes? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, this one is um, be organized with flexible cooperation. And uh, this one's sort of approached that you never know when different opportunities are going to come up. You know, you, you're probably going to have to pivot and change what you're doing. Um, if an opportunity shows itself. So being organized means you have to have all of your stuff, all of your thoughts, all of your projects in order. And then flexible cooperation refers to when an opportunity comes along, you need to be able to pounce on that and you need to be able to cooperate with many people. And that's how you're going to get lots. That's how you're going to move forwards with, with what you want to do. So yeah, being organized with flexible cooperation. Uh, last one is, and this is the most recent edition. Mm -hmm. When the pressure is on, you don't rise to the occasion. You fall to your highest level of preparation. Mm. How do you like that one? I like all these. They're, they're jam-packed, and I can tell they all have meaning. And yeah. They really come at different points in your life when different stuff's been going on. That's awesome. But yeah, this last one's good, man. Like, think of it going through uni. When you're, going, when, you're, when you're about to sit one of those board exams, right, mm -hmm. you don't rise to the occasion. You can't just outperform what you've done previously. You only fall to your highest level of preparation. So you really have to be prepared. So, I like it. And the last one, yeah, yeah, the last one's not so good. Everything is an opportunity. That came up when, um, from one of my bosses when we were having a chat around... Um, yeah, this new leadership position with the physio company I'm with. And he said, gee, well, you look at everything like it's an opportunity. And I thought, yeah, I do. And it's a really good mindset to be like, we're, we're lucky in that we can do these things that we love to do. So everything is, is an opportunity for us. That's great. I keep, a, I keep this little black book that's kind of a running, I guess we're running less kind of each, each page is a different experience or encounter. That's I found useful advice, tips. Uh, I think a, honestly, a lot of these I'm going to write down. I think you get your own page. Well, congrats. <laughs> thanks man. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> I, uh, I've got one more question for you that I ask all my guests. What is your favorite snack? An author snack. <laughs> yes. There it is. <laughs> Uh, now, look, I'm going to be honest, a Snickers bar. You know Snickers? Do you guys do. have Snickers? We do. Yeah, that's my favorite, man. I, um, I do a lot of bushwalking, a lot of hiking, and really just developed a love for Snickers when you're like 10Ks into, into a walk, you're on top of a hill or a mountain somewhere, and you pull out a Snickers, and it's just sweet, gooey, salty. Oh. High nutrient value, too. Um, so, <laughs> exactly. well, thank you so much for taking time to talk with me today. I'm sure 
I'm sure all my guests are really going to enjoy having heard about a little bit of what physio is like in Australia and some of the different opportunities you've come across. So that's awesome. Um, where, can Thanks, people, where, where can people follow you or keep in touch with? You can follow me most, yeah, most actively on um, Instagram and YouTube through Allied Anatomy. That's our, um, our anatomy page for physiotherapists. Otherwise, you can um, find me on LinkedIn. I don't know if you guys use LinkedIn over there. Um, that's the, yeah. So search Will J Hunt on LinkedIn and I'll pop up there with my personal profile, but, um, yeah, do get in touch on allied anatomy. I love talking to new people. So, um, hope to talk to your, your guests through that. Yeah, we really appreciate you. And, uh, for anyone listening along allied health or sorry, excuse me, allied anatomy has some phenomenal videos just in terms of simplifying anatomical concepts and something that I really enjoyed using, especially if you're early on in your PT journey and still need to take those anatomy classes, I would definitely recommend checking them out. Um, That's all we have for this episode. Again, really appreciate you, Will, and we will keep in touch. Thanks, mate. Yep. Thanks for having me on. Yep. Have an awesome rest of your morning. See you later.